Hello there, podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Professional Coaches and Personal Friends. In episode five, um, in this episode, Stephen and I are going to talk about coaching and training. Importantly, the difference between the two and when they are best employed. So when it's best to use coaching and maybe when it's best to use training. Uh, we start off by talking about online training. So as we know, at the start of this lockdown, lots and lots of people signed up to do courses and to learn new things. However, a lot of it wasn't sustainable. And we discussed the importance of purpose and goals in this phenomenon. And as well as training, later on, we'll also talk about teaching, uh, mentoring, coaching, counselling and psychotherapy, an important way of looking at the differences between all of these. Um, you know, why some are very directive, why some of them, are, the, the role of questions in this. We do talk about that there is a number of different ways of training and coaching people. And one of the conversation pieces, it's we discuss the importance of building a portfolio of options and approaches and why it's important for us all to be able to respond well to different people um, and, and to different situations. And to do that well, you do need to have a portfolio of options, which coaching should only be one. And towards the end, Stephen explains why he feels coaching is so powerful. I think it's clear when you hear him speak that he's genuinely passionate about the work that he does and he has been doing for the last you know, 20 plus years. I'll be back at the end with a quick word farewell. Um, the start, as it sometimes is a little stunted, as we had a Zoom a moment, as many of you will recognize. My son interrupted to negotiate for some Fortnite screen time. Uh, we do dive straight back in and we quickly get back up to speed, but you may notice it. Anyway, I enjoyed this. Um, there are some technical moments in it, but importantly, I think I learned some new things and I was reminded about some old gems. Anyway, enjoy. Here comes the cheesy music. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. So what you're saying is then, so now people, now now Ikea's back open and now the home B&Qs are open. People have said, I don't need to do all these courses anymore. I don't need to do the baking anymore. I'm just going to do my billy shells. Is that it? Was it simply boredom or or is it just simply a time filler? Or is it that they just don't see the reason to do this anymore, that, that they thought this was going to be a three-week thing and, and now it, it's gone on for longer and they don't see the purpose? Yeah, well, the, the, there was a reason to begin with of being you know, mentally sharp and living your normal life and all of a sudden you've been told to stay at home all the time and, and for the people who were told to stay at home all the time and all of a sudden there's a, I need to be doing something, keep myself alert, keep myself sharp, and it was all good. But what it didn't have was a great deal of purpose beyond the I should be doing something or I always said I would. And and it doesn't have any longer-term purpose than that. So it's more of an activity that you tick the box and say I've done that. And I think the stats are saying that most people didn't complete most of the things they started because they'd always promised themselves to start that. They'd never necessarily promised themselves to get to the end and then do something with it. And there will be exceptions to that, but that's where people have had a, a goal to do something rather than then just setting a plan to do it. So this is, and we touched on this before, is the January diet, 
it makes sense to do this thing, but because you haven't linked it to a big enough, strong enough purpose in your own life, eventually you run out of steam and momentum to do it. So you'll be good for two or three weeks. It doesn't stick because you haven't made it a key component of your life. No, and, and look, it served a really positive purpose for a lot of people. And for some people, it wasn't courses, it was cleaning, it was decorating, it was doing all sorts, because I want to be doing something. Yeah. Because I don't want you sitting about waiting for something I don't know how long is going to continue. So there was a, a level of purpose and benefit, but not a long-term purpose. It was more um, something to tick off and done. And now those options start to open up. As you're saying now, there's, you know, the, the weather changes, there's gardening, there's DIY stuff. And as this continues to open, again, you will get other time fillers uh, of activity. But hopefully there is still some benefit. And for some who will have connected to topics through online courses or whatever, that maybe it's whetted their appetite and thought, well, maybe there's something bigger in this for me. Or maybe it's resonated with them uh, beyond just the, I always said I would. Yes. I don't want to link it back to necessarily something which, like giving up smoking. You know, the the people, I think it's like four or five percent of people who try to give up smoking, give up smoking for a certain amount of time. So lots of people try it, but unless it's, unless it's serious enough, unless it's important enough, they're not going to continue doing it. So whilst I might whet my appetite with a course, it isn't going to necessarily change my life or is it is it it's not going to change my set of skills it's not going to necessarily make me more employable at work I mean how do you see that if I've if I've signed up and I've done a course for three weeks should I be telling my employer I'm more valuable I just think that even the put even just doing it for three weeks has got to be a good thing isn't it well it's all good and you know the the joke about people who are really good at giving up smoking because they've given it up loads of times. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's at least they've tried and there's the attempt. And, and, but there's two different mindsets. You can try to give up smoking or you can become a non-smoker. And that is two different people. And it depends yeah. who you choose to be. And it's the same with these courses. Are you, are you gathering learning or are you yeah. becoming something? Yes. And and that's the and that's that level of purpose, um, rather than trying or adding. And it's all good, and it's fantastic. And I think it's tremendous that people will now look to resources and say, "Why not?" So what else can I do? And what else can yeah. I gather? And it's all good and it's all positive. But it's 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 the difference between going on a sort of crash diet or changing your lifestyle. You know, yes. these things will happen, they'll, they'll last for a period of time and there's still benefit from it, but it won't necessarily make sustainable change. If, if you're going to make change happen, and one of the models you and I have worked with before is in the overcoming resistance to change. It's how we started off a lot of sessions, particularly with your teams and things. And the first of all is having that healthy enough dissatisfaction combined with a big enough vision for what amazing would look like. And then the F was the first steps, being willing to take those first steps. Now, you know, there's there's a lot of people, certainly my side of the family, who are really good at the dissatisfaction piece, you know, just dissatisfied, moaning, moaning the life out of you if you let them, um, of just being dissatisfied. But without that vision of what it would look like, that sense of purpose, 
or being willing to do anything about it, all you're doing is moaning. And equally, if you're dissatisfied enough and you have a vision, but you're still putting it off and putting it off and never taking those first steps, you go from being a moaner to a procrastinator. Um, what this was, was the third element of that is, is people who are up for doing anything. And so they were up for taking first steps on anything without a purpose, without being dissatisfied enough, without having a big enough vision for what you would then do with it. It was just the doing something. Yeah. Years ago, we had people coming to view our house and they had flown and booked into a hotel to come and view our house. And they spent nearly two hours in our house telling us how wonderful it was. And we thought, great. And we thought, okay, have you sold your own house? And they went, no, no, we, we love our house. We've been in it for 20 years. But your house is beautiful. I said, oh, was this going to be a second house then? If you're, oh, no, no, no. We, we love our house. We see the kids moving up and away and coming back to us there. This is our family house. And they had bought a flight, stayed in a hotel, viewed the house. But they weren't dissatisfied enough with their own. They had no vision of actually buying the house. They were just really busy people who would organise a schedule, book flights, hotels to go and view, but were never actually looking to buy. They just wanted to do, they just wanted, they enjoyed the, the process. So this, so this is about the purpose then. So I like that. So if you've got the healthy dissatisfaction, it helps you create a strong enough purpose, which links to goals, which, where you can do things. So it's okay that people were doing training even without the purpose because there's a lot more unhealthier things they could have done. However, if they were doing this because they had this bigger sense of purpose, they wanted a different job, they wanted to be able to do they, they lead their teams differently, they wanted to learn just a set of skills that would enable them to step into something else and they envisaged themselves doing that, then they would have stuck at this. Maybe this is the first training course second you know one of five that they are going to do and they will stick to it because their purpose is big enough and actually the fact that they had time at home was a godsend for them because a they had a time to evaluate it and then they had a time to actually pull the trigger and do something so this is a good thing so but as you're right the, the stats will probably be somewhere and you don't see them anymore but when 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 everyone was at home all of a sudden there's all these sites were de- demonstrating how they had gone crazy and through the roof and that we're not hearing about it now no okay and and part of that will be it's because it's not newsworthy anymore and it's kind of a way of doing things so there'll still be an increase in what it was before but the spike of god now you're right i've and I'm, you know, I'm guilty of this too i uh i signed up for a couple of courses and i did complete them because I have to to finish them because I said I was going to I was going to do them. I know I'm going to do something else. I haven't yet figured out what I'm going to do. What the process taught me was online learning's okay. Actually, I kind of enjoyed it. That was what I'm t- taking out of it at this stage, and I am ready to do something else. But yeah, I'm not quite sure what exactly it is I'm going to do. And I dabbled and I've looked, but I haven't found it yet. And I think that's a good one is going back and thinking, and what is this for? When you're having that dark day, when you're having that day where you can't be bothered to sign on, this is so important that I am going to do it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, If if you've got a thousand reasons to do something, you'll do it. 
Exactly. So when we talk about online courses, uh, well, we talk about training in companies. So I've officially had coaching. We don't call it training, we call it coaching. Tell me, how would you define the difference then between training, whether that's online or not, and coaching, again, whether that's online or not? Because I know that you see that there's a big difference between the two. And we've discussed this before, and I'd like to, and we've touched on it in other tangents, in other conversations, but I'd just like us to zero in on this for a bit. Why, why should I be interested in coaching? Or when is coaching right for me? And when is training right for me? Is that a fair question? Yeah, and, and those are kind of two separate questions within there. You know, okay. when is it a training thing and when is it a coaching thing? Okay. If you consider the what, the why, and the how, training is about helping you understand what you need to do and why you need to do it. And here is how you should do it. Say that again. It's what you need to do. Yeah. It's what you need to do. it, And here's how you should do it. So it's, it's very directive. Yes. Coaching is two degrees separate from that towards more being introspective in that coaching is when you're clarifying more what needs to be done. You're looking to develop a greater understanding or greater reason why to do it. And then the challenge is on the how can you do it rather than how it should be done. So it becomes more open, less directive, more introspective. Let's find the right way for you to be doing this. How would you want to be doing this? Whereas training is a more linear thought process. This is what you need to do. This is why you need to do it. And this is how it should be done. But as coaching opens up that conversation, if if you look at the whole development continuum to get the bigger picture on things, and at one end you've got it being very directive, and at the other end you've got introspection, from the directive piece, the, the most directive is teaching. Yes. And then one end from there is when you've got on-the-job training. So it's not theory, it's on-the-job training. One end from there is when you then get to training. So still directive, but not as directive as teaching. So teaching is training in a way then. So this is one of the debates at schools at the moment, is that schools just teach everybody how to do things the same way, whereas what we really should be doing is creating a group of people who are interested and, and creative and problems and problem solvers themselves. And this good quote, and I think this is actually how you've discussed described it here, helps with this, is somebody was complaining about how many questions their child asked. He says, don't worry, he'll soon go to school. They'll knock that out of him. <laughs> and that whole point being exactly what you're saying is is if you want everyone to come out of school and, you know, the schools were built for the industrial age, et cetera, et cetera, for this new age, we want a bunch of people who are just, who are able to think for themselves and come up with their own answers. That's the difference between training and coaching. Well, when you get to, from teaching, which is very, very directive, to, to training, which is a little bit more uh, towards the inner stuff because that is finding a reason why to be doing things and it explains more the why. From one end from there, you get to mentoring, first of all. 
Okay. And what sits between training and coaching is mentoring. So mentoring okay. still is that directive quality to it of saying, look, if I'm mentoring you, this is how I've done it. This is what the questions I asked. This is the way I approached it. So there's still a bit of direction going on, but I'm inviting you to find your answers relative to my own. When you get to coaching, coaching then becomes rather than answers driven, it becomes questions driven, but still with a connection to an outcome and a purpose. So it's goal-orientated, questions driven. If you continue further towards the introspection, just to finish that model, you then end up in counselling. And if you go further out to the extreme, it's psychotherapy, which is all questions. You know, psychotherapy is questions and going within. Counselling is still all questions, but it's how do you feel about the now and the present, whereas coaching is still questions-driven, but it's with a purpose going forward. If we look at this whole continuum again, then, so you've got teach, that classroom teaching or not even classroom teaching, schoolroom teaching, let's say. Then we've got training. And this is what can be described almost as talking heads training, where you explain stuff to people and you do the same thing time and time again. And and sometimes that has a place. For example, I'm thinking um, inductions, Mm -hmm. things like that. You know, sometimes you do just need, here's the stuff you need to know. Thank you very much. Okay. Then you've got mentoring. Then you've got coaching. Then you've got counseling. And then you've got, psychotherapy okay so you want to create a team of creative problem solvers you want to be a creative problem solver yourself if you find yourself being a directive manager and therefore a directive trainer what are some first steps that i can do to take a step back and to actually start to encourage my team to yeah, how do I stop myself giving them all of the answers in a way? Is that is that it? How do I how do I stop myself being the expert in the room and instead invite them to become experts in the room? Well, it's important to get the combination of both because what we don't want to lose is is your expertise because that's where your value is. But it's the it's the how you provide that expertise. It's how you deliver that. And if you deliver it by giving answers, then what you're doing is training and teaching. You might be mentoring if you're just sharing your answers but inviting them to find theirs. But as soon as you become questions-driven, then you're moving into coaching. And look, I'm I'm qualified to cover and accredit and deliver training, mentoring, coaching and counselling because I wanted to make sure that my relationship with people wasn't always bottlenecked into a coaching situation. So... You know, I didn't want to sit with someone who just lost a family member and say, but come on, Warren, what's the big opportunity here? You know, I wanted to be able to counsel when it was appropriate to or train if appropriate or mentor. But my passion is in coaching because coaching for me is the, the highest value aspect and most relevant aspect in today's world because it is questions driven but outcome focused so that it's not limited to what the previous thinking was, but it's also not totally detached from it. And as soon as you start to focus more on the right question, then you'll have more longevity in your value. So if you're the expert in the room, 
it depends on whether you want to be seen as the expert in the room and the smartest guy in the room, or do you want everyone else to feel smarter and better? Yeah. And, and that, again, is that what's the purpose of you being there in the first place? If you want your people to be better, perform better, have the confidence to do better, then asking questions is far more energizing than just pouring your answers over everybody. And equally, if you even take this recent time, the answers that we were working off of three or four months ago are no longer relevant. The questions we were asking three or four months ago still have relevance, but the answers to those questions are now very different. Yeah. Two things then which jump to mind is, first of all, when you talk about questions, it might be one of your lines is, when you ask a question, are you seeking to impress or are you seeking to be impressed? Mm -hmm. That's one of yours, is it? Yes. <laughs> I like that. I find myself using this in bad in bad arguments sometimes, but I should use it in better ways. But sometimes when I'm asked a question, I say, do you really want to know the answer to that question or are you just making a point by asking me that question? I think that's a really good one. I think all of us are guilty of that in work and home. Is Sometimes we know what the answer is. We know they don't know what the answer is. Um, so we are doing this for our own purposes, not for not for them. But if we were able to ask better questions of them and help them get to a really good answer, then we are being impressed by their answers. And that, that should be our aim as a leader and, and as a coach and as a nurturing coach. And look, even as a wife, husband, brother, sister, colleague, friend, you know, if it's not just about asking the questions, but you should ask, and there's a whole raft of stuff on questions, but the manner in which you ask that question is really, really important. And you can ask questions in a way that is really impressing upon people your judgment. Yes. Or you can genuinely ask people a question to be impressed by their answer, even if their answer isn't that impressive. You can still be impressed by their honesty, their frankness, their trust in you to give you what is clearly not a very good answer. And so your relationship remains still connected as opposed to being made to feel a little belittled when there's a question thrown at you to really make a point. Okay, we're going to get back to questions. As you said, that's a whole another day. I know it can, it can be a day. But let's go back to then what this situation has taught us. And again, this is from another conversation we've had is if you ask people to do training on what they've learned over the last three months, you're going to get a manual for how to deal with this exact situation if it ever occurs again. But I think how you explained it, what a great coach is going to do is actually understand whatever the situation appears again in three months or six months' time. Maybe I'd have learned a couple of better questions to ask because of this, which will make me better equipped to deal with it. Is, is that it? So this is a learning moment, but the learning moment is, is wow, which questions should I have asked better or could I ask better in the future to prepare for this sort of outcome? Is that a good summary? Of yeah, yeah. And look, the, the relationship between coaching and questions is really, really strong. From a coaching perspective, it's questions driven but outcome focused. So the questions are about the outcome. You know, counselling, I would ask you, how do you feel just now? Coaching will ask, or how do you want to feel about this in six months? And what you're then doing is having a more future-focused thought process. But everyone's going to come out of this, out of this latest crisis. 
and then there'll be other ones and they'll be smaller and they'll be bigger and they'll, have, they'll look different, they'll have different features and folks. How do I ensure that I can imagine that there's going to be lots of huddles of people getting together and saying, this is never going to happen to us again. Write the playbook on how we ensure that something like this doesn't happen to us again or that we are better prepared for when something like this happens again. What's going to be the key difference between a tra- it turning into a training manual and a coaching manual? Because the, if, if you look at, and even the conversations are starting just now, you know, people want to go, what's the lessons we've learned? What's the mistakes exactly. that we've made? And unfortunately, they have a very short shelf life because quite rightly, people are saying, well, we made that decision based upon what we understood at the time. Now we understand different things. We would have made different decisions. So that playbook is continually getting ripped up and ripped up and ripped up because that playbook is only recording what happened. It's not necessarily capturing what was learned. Yeah. It's just recording what happened. Coaching, coaching is going to be, the, the training is going to be, um, what did we do during those times? The, the, the coaching question is going to be, what could we have done better? What could we have done more of? What do we wish we'd done less of? What do we wish we had acted quicker upon? Because those questions are going to be relevant next time around. But if we're asking them in advance, we'll get ahead of the game a little bit quicker. So if we use a sporting analogy, which we uh, want to do, you know, when you see the substitutes getting off the bench, and you see it especially in American football, and you see it in, 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 in English football too, and they, the guys, got these, they've got a flip chart, and they're explaining what they need the people to do. That's training. Because this is the situation we're in today, you therefore need to do that run, do that pass, etc. What a coach, what somebody who isn't trained, but somebody who's been coached would do is they would ask themselves the questions of what of what's going to make a difference and an impact here. Is is that is that a good Yeah. Yeah, look, at sports coaches um, and all disciplines, it's not just on the how they're going to do it. They, they will be clear on that this is what you now need to do and this is why it needs to be done. So we're clear on that because there's a, there's a strategy, whether it's in business or in sport or a relationship, this is what needs to happen, this is why it needs to happen. Where the coaching element comes in is in the how you're going to do that because the how can respond to the, the situation that's at play. So... My, my role as a coach is to, is to engage with people who have currently got a portfolio of options of how to respond or deal with things or communicate things. And that portfolio, um, with certain, those approaches with certain people in certain situations produces really good results. But those same approaches in other situations with other people doesn't quite hit the mark. And so what coaching is about is about understanding those current approaches and then starting to extend those out further. First of all, directly. So what else could you be doing? And then further indirectly by who do you need to surround yourself with so that as a coach, you can encourage people to then say, what is the outcome you're looking for? And given that it's these people and given it's this situation, what are your three or four best options? Yeah. A portfolio of options. Is that it? Or a portfolio of approaches? 
a portfolio of options in terms of your approach. How are you going to approach this? People tend to have a quite a narrow portfolio. of. They've got ways that they think, I'm quite good at this is the approach I prefer to take or has worked for me before. So they, they kind of use it all the time. And then there's a group of people or situations where it doesn't quite work for them. So what they will do is they either accept that that's not going to work or they start to avoid those people in those situations because I just don't get on with them. It never really works out well. So that's not the kind of situation that I can get my bet the best out of. So in a sporting analogy, particularly in Scottish football as well as English football, you will get players who are luxury players who are great in certain situations, but in other situations you can't play them. Now, if you're a good coach, what you're doing is coaching them to be more than just that narrow dimension of a player. Then that's when you're coaching people because they're becoming more than what they already are. But, and this is important, they're remaining authentic. They're not getting lost in the process. They're not being trained to be something they're not. They're actually being coached to be a better version of what they already are by becoming more than just that. So one of the things you touched on then is sometimes you get promoted because you're good at something and that tends to be a more narrow thing than you then because once you get promoted obviously a span of control or or the number of tasks or tests that you're given is going to expand so this is that you know that old uh, it's a book and it's saying you know what got you there isn't going to get you to where you now need to get to so this is where you need to be you need to be coached to help you expand those options that you that you either a have or b you do have but you haven't recognized them because you've never needed them because a and b was always working really well for me and i never needed c d e f and g but actually i'm i'm learning to give them the value and appreciation that that, that maybe they deserve okay so as a coach is there a directive way which 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 has short-term results? And is there a better coaching way? Well, you know, it depends on the situation if you've got the time. Because coaching is a questions-based situation, that's not to say that it's better than other options. It's choosing the right option for the situation. Look, if I'm in a, bur- a burning building, please don't try and coach me to leave the building. Just shout at me and get me safe um, and get me out of there and be as directive as you need to be. However you're going to have to do that again because I won't necessarily have understood or learned anything. So coaching is one of the options you should have in your portfolio along with teaching, training, a bit like you were talking about, this whole palette of of options you have taught yourself. Yeah. But the, the importance is, is to get comfortable and confident in your starting position. Yeah. Like everything in life, whether it's in sport, um, or in any business or any activity, if you get your starting position right, you get to see how things are playing out in front of you. You get your starting position wrong, you get in trouble pretty quick. It gets very difficult. So it's knowing your starting position. My starting position is coach. That's my strongest starting position. Now, I might go into an hour or two hour long conversation with someone and touch some counselling, mentoring, training throughout that conversation. But I know the door that I came in on in through and the door I'm going to exit through. So it's understanding what is the best approach to this at any given time and knowing that you can do what is most appropriate. And this is broadening that portfolio of choices and approaches that if you approach everything, when I first started out on this, 
you know, if, if all you've got in your tool bag is a hammer, then everything becomes a nail. Yeah, and honestly, for the first period of time, people couldn't have a conversation with me socially without it becoming a coaching <laughs> session, even though they had no desire at all to be coached. I had a hammer and I could only see a nail in front of me. Oh, I, 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 I think we all recognise yeah. that sometimes. And, and that's great that that enthusiasm and passion and belief in what you're doing and it can make a difference. So why would you want to hold it back? Over a period of time, you then start to realise that no matter how good that is in certain situations with certain people, with other people in other situations, it's not going to work. So it's about broadening that portfolio of choice, of understanding that what counselling actually is and the value of it and how to do it, what coaching is and how to do it and do it well, what then is drifting into mentoring and what's drifting into training. And I tend to work on relative definitions rather than just definitions because I want to know the relationship between training and mentoring and coaching and counselling and when one becomes the other so that I know their relativity as opposed to just in isolation what they are. Yeah, I'm a simple sales guy. I'm, I'm well-intentioned. I want to improve. I'm going to work on this coaching. I'll read a book. I'll do an online course. Is there a quick and easy guide to when teaching is the correct thing, when training's the correct thing, and when, co- when mentoring's the correct thing, and when coaching's the right thing? Is this, you know, there, this is situation-based. That's something that you, that you said. Is there a quick and easy guide to, you know, it's not always going to hold true, but here, here, here's when to think this is, a, this is a nail. Maybe this is the screw. You know, maybe, maybe this is a thumbtack. I'm, 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 I'm killing that metaphor now, so I'm going to shut up. But when do I reach for each of these different tools in my locker? Well, it's really where that other person or those other people are. And if I get back again to the what, why, and the how, the ideal coaching situation when you can really start the coaching process is when people are clear on the what they want to do or want to be or want to get to, and they've got a sense of why, so it has meaning. And if they're clear on the what and the why, where coaching really comes in is then expanding the different ranges of ways how you can do it. Okay. So when you talk about the one, the why, this, to go back to something we discussed, I think, today, was purpose. If they've got a strong sense of purpose already, then this is somebody who could be coached. Yeah, and it's a coaching situation. Coaching situation. It's a coaching situation because there is an outcome to get to. It's one of the things, when I've been running the coaching academies for a number of big financial services companies in particular, there is the perception of coaching is just a conversation. Coaching is a conversation with a point and a purpose and an outcome. Yes. That's what makes it different from counselling. Counselling is a really valuable thing. It's a great chat. You understand what A looks like and then you understand and feel better about being A and all that. Coaching is the how do you get to be. Yes. And so if you're clear in the what and the why, so the what being B, I want to get from A to B, that's what I want to do, and here's here's my initial reasons why. Now, the, the reasons why might be fantastic. The reason why at this stage might be quite weak because my boss has told me I need to, because my wife's told me I need to, because my son's made it clear I should. Um, you know, I can, we can start off at that level and build up to build a greater why because the why is the size of the motivation. 
But if you've got the what and the why, you can then start coaching on the how, which is the how, the where, the when, with whom. So who can help? Who do you admire? All great coaching questions because you're opening up for them to find their authentic way of getting to what they want to get to for all the reasons why. However, if they don't have a what and a why, then it's either a counselling situation where they just want to feel about how they feel about A and understand being at point A. Or you can go down the mentoring and say, well, in your position, this was what I've done before. So what you're trying to do is help them find a what and a why so that you can then get back to coaching. Because coaching is where they're going to find their authentic solution to be the best version of themselves. Counseling is where they're going to feel better about where they already are. Mentoring is where you get to share what you would have done or have done in their situation or what other people have done. And training is that, in theory, this is what you should be doing because this is how it was done before. Okay. All equally valid options. Coaching for me is the one where the richness really comes into. Is it time-based? Is the reason that, say, schools do teaching and not coaching is because the number of people and the time they have. Yeah, look, the, the more directive you are in anything, Warren, it's because of the lack of time. Yeah. It's why counselling takes a bit longer and it's why psychotherapy is a long-time investment because that's going to take a long time. But if you don't have, look, if, and I work with some teachers and, you know, now it's, it's the array of issues they're dealing with and pressures and everything else. It's, it's remarkable what they're able to do, but they have got a number of kids where they don't necessarily have the time or the resource to get individual learning experiences. And so they want to make it consistent. So they don't really want to ask, what does everybody think? They want to tell people how to, th- how to think because it keeps everybody together and hopefully people don't get left behind. Although ultimately, when you're just giving out answers, answers won't have the same effect on every child in that classroom. There will always be kids who are left behind, unfortunately. But they'll get through the curriculum, you know, the, yeah. uh, and because they don't have the time. And that's the job they've been given to do. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's, it's time-bound. They have to get it done within a particular time. There's, there's, you know, semesters. There's, you know, there's deadlines on curriculums. There's, you know, it's slotted into years and into quarters and into months and, you know, certain days there's learning plans and everything else because it has to be taught. Yeah. And getting taught is a really good foundation for things. But to put that, what you've been taught, into practice and apply it and for it to become you and what you do and being authentic and being genuine and for you to fully understand. Because the thing is, when you're taught, you know. But when your emotions come, you'll forget what you know. And only once you calm down will you then think, I know what I should have said, or I know I shouldn't have said that, or I know what I should have done. Whereas if you can get to understanding, even those pressure live TV moments where there's a lot of emotion, if you understand how to deal with things, that will stick with you even when the pressure comes. Okay, so that's the so is that a key difference then between training and, and training and coaching is knowing and understanding because the coaching because you're being asked questions. You have to go deeper into understanding. That's a, that's a important distinction. Yeah, and, and that, that's where the value of coaching really comes in. You know, and this again, if I go back to where we were a few minutes back, 
people being trained and taught means they know what they need to do and why they need to do it. Yeah. Coaching brings the true value of that is then finding all the different ways that you can apply that so that it's the application of the learning in a way that's authentic. You know, in sport, and I've worked in a number of the football academies where they are taught to play football, but world-class players understand how to play the game. Exactly. You know, and it's and therefore it's it's only the students who then get beyond being taught, who then actually learn about themselves and understand the process, are the ones who can then sort of say, "This is it's not just something I can do. This is what I do." Because this is when I'm me, this is what I do. And this is what coaching is really about, is helping people find how to become the best version of themselves, not how to replicate what someone was before. Mm -hmm. Because that's just imitation. And that's where you get all these cookie-cutter footballers who make a living from it, but those exceptional ones, yes, they've learned learned the basics, but they've, they've added something of themselves. Yeah, they, 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 understand. they understand. They don't just know. I mean, the ones who are playing the ball sideways all the time and back the way know how to do that really well, but don't necessarily know when to switch it up. You know, one of the key things just now is about one of the big values that businesses have in their people just now is that ability to pivot. It's not just the ability to pivot, it's to understand when to pivot, yeah. you know, and how to pivot and how to do it successfully and how to bring people along with you, how to influence that. And coaching is very much about influencing things because you're asking the right types of questions. But the thing is, and you've done this always, and I know you've done it with your teams, Warren, firsthand, is that you know all you're doing is inviting people to ask a slightly better quality question than they're currently asking. And don't underestimate the ripple effect of that because you might never see the ripple effect, but it's there. And just by inviting people to ask a slightly better question, that's why I'm so passionate about coaching. It just, you're able to see the current question you're asking, you invite people to ask a slightly better question or a dramatically better question, and things just change from they're all of a sudden on a totally different trajectory. Yeah. Because that question has opened up their thinking. But just being told you need to be more of this or you need to be less of that or you need to start doing this or you need to stop doing that, you just see people getting smaller. So there we have it. An in-depth look at coaching and its value from a self-declared coaching enthusiast, it must be said. But a strong case is made to make sure that you do have coaching in your toolbox or the portfolio of options. As always, there's some interesting tangents and topics come up during the conversations. And I'm looking forward to exploring some of these in the future. In this one, for example, questions, the importance of questions, the different types of questions came up, building healthy dissatisfaction and turning them into goals and Powerful first steps was also mentioned. There's plenty to talk about. And we've been doing this now for 15 years, so we won't run out. If there is something you'd like to hear more about, please let us know. Get in contact. We've got an email address, podcast at coachpro.online. It's in the show notes as well. And we'll probably be on social media channels soon. Thanks for the feedback so far. It has helped. It's nice to hear. In the meantime, I hope you're all well. Hope you're keeping well. 
Thanks for listening this far. We'll talk again soon. Bye-bye.